Hello and welcome to the podcast What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as a new teacher. Today I'm talking to John Cosgrove, who, after almost 40 years of teaching, retired in the summer of 2019. During his career, he taught pupils of all ages from 3 to 18 in Cornwall, London, Lancashire and Reading. So whilst no one has seen it all, John has seen as much as anyone in the world of education. But he's not just a highly experienced teacher, he's also an avid writer of articles, news items, plays and books, both fiction and non-fiction. Most of his writing has been about schools and education, and much has been published in the TES, the Daily Telegraph, Schools Week, the Tablet, the Catholic Herald and the Universe. He also writes a fascinating educational blog, and the link for this is on the podcast page. But that's not the end of his talents, not by a long way. He's also written a number of novels, including Orange Blossom Spring, which is a memoir telling the story of a year in Spain, during the early days of post-Franco democracy, and the very successful school-based David Carr series of mysteries featuring head teacher David Carr. Mysteries in school? Surely not. Oh, and did I mention he's fluent in Spanish and French? And he once stood to be an MP in the 1992 general election. Oh, how we could use someone of John's undoubted wisdom at Westminster today. John, welcome. Thanks for speaking to me. Well, thank you, Jeremy. That that, that was quite an introduction. I, I, I hope I won't talk absolute rubbish now for the next 20 minutes or so. <laughs> no, utterly impossible, John. Utterly impossible. You've had such an interesting education career. Spanish and French teacher, head of year leading primary liaison, then primary schools, including being a head teacher. What got you interested in teaching in the first place? Well, I think it, it, it was more or less the family firm. My, my parents were both teachers. My father was a, a head teacher. Um, he was head teacher of Lew County Secondary School when I was born, and I was actually born in the schoolhouse. And I still look for it every time I visit Lou. <laughs> and um, so, yes, he, he was a teacher. Um, I have four sisters. Three of them were teachers, and, and several of them married teachers. My wife is a teacher. So it, it, it seemed like the logical thing to do. And it also, you hear a lot of discussions around the table at home, you know, with my father, with my sisters and my mother about things that have happened in school and so on. And, and it seemed like a very worthwhile job. It seemed like something that, that was um, worth investing time and energy in. Teaching definitely does that, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And, and one of the things that, that um, I find absolutely fascinating about teaching is you can sometimes see the difference instantly you sometimes see it at the end of the day at the end of the week and sometimes you see it 30 40 years later you know you come across people just two days before christmas i was um in town i, I was just coming out actually of the public conveniences in town yeah. and a, a young man who was slightly taller than me was walking in and he suddenly stopped and he said mr cosgrove and I looked at him and I said, oh, my goodness. You know, and, and we had a little chat there. He was doing very well. He, he was he was very happy and, and he, 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 he was pleased to see me. And it was nice to see him. And I remembered when I first came across him when he was 
well, three years old, in fact, before he joined our school. And he had a particular special need, which meant that I was really very concerned, very worried about him joining our school. In fact, his joining our school, I was the head of the school at the time, was one of the few occasions when I lost sleep. He had a, a physical condition. Um, and I've always found that physical conditions are the things that have worried me most because if you just are slightly inattentive, if you do something slightly careless, there can be very serious consequences. But he was fabulous. He was absolutely fantastic. Once he'd started school, we, we, we never worried about him at all. He was brilliant. And, and he went on to academic success. And, and we met in town just before Christmas and he was telling me about university. He was telling me about the successes he's had. And it was lovely. And, and that, that's what teaching is all about, isn't it? It totally is. The feeling of I've really done something worthwhile for these children. And knowing that it's something that will last for days, weeks, months, years, it's so satisfying. When you help children be as good as they can be, they really value it, don't they? They do. And, and they remember. They notice. I, I, I mean, a, another case, which was nothing really to do with teaching as such, um, but it was in my first year of, of teaching that I came across this young lad. He was in what today we would call year nine. In, in those days, it was third year. Uh, and he was in a particularly tricky class. He was in a bottom set French group. Um, and I was teaching him or trying to teach him. And on one occasion, he'd exasperated me a bit. And I'd asked him to stay in at the end of the lesson so I could talk to him. So he stayed in at the end of the lesson. And while I was talking to him, I went around the classroom picking up exercise books and laying out things for the next class that were coming in. And I was chatting to him as, as, as I was doing this and saying, you know, why are you doing this? Why are we doing that? And I suddenly realised, suddenly, you know, a real flash of inspiration. I suddenly realised he couldn't hear a word I was saying. I came to the front and I said, can you hear me? And he said, no. You know, and, and he was looking at me then, so he'd obviously um, realised that, that I, I, what I'd said. I went to the head of year and I said, did you know there was a problem with so-and-so's hearing? And he said, no. So we both, he and I, the head of year and I, went to, to the primary records and we discovered that he had moved school several times in his primary years and several teachers had picked up on the fact that he couldn't hear properly, but nothing had been done about it because as soon as they'd noticed this, he'd moved school. And so he'd slipped through the net. Within three months, he'd been to the doctor, he'd been to the uh, audiologist, he'd had grommets fitted, he'd done an operation and grommets fitted in his ear, and he was able to hear again. But at least 10 years later, I was walking through town and this shout comes from across the road, Mr. Cosgrove! <laughs> and, and I turned and I said, oh, hello, how are you? And he said, Come and meet my kids, sir. Come and meet. This is my wife. You know, come, so so pleased to see me. And I, I often think, you know, at some stage, something would have been done about about his hearing. It, it would have been picked up. It didn't just take me to pick it up. You know, somebody would have. But maybe maybe I picked it up a bit earlier than it might to be. I think so. And I think the other thing is that you'd kept him behind because you wanted to talk to him. And, and very often, parents will think, oh, keeping him behind, all you do is go on at him, and you're always mm -hmm. having a go at him, you're always... And actually, what you're trying to do there 
is is to get a way into the child. I remember talking to a lad once. I'd become head teacher at a school, and and there was a lad who was a, quite a persistent offender in all sorts of ways. And I said, I said, what are you thinking at the moment when I'm talking to you? And he said, I'm thinking, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't care. And I said, so why are you thinking that then? And he said, well, the previous head teacher just used to shout at me. He said, and I don't like being shouted at. So I just wanted to have something in my head which could fill the space where when he was shouting at me. And I said, well, have I ever shouted at you? And he said, no. I said, so can you stop doing the ya, 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 ya then and actually listen to the words and then I'll listen to the words you say and then you listen to the words I say and just maybe we can get into a better position here. Absolutely. Worth giving a go? And he yeah. said, yeah, no, no, that's fair enough. He said, yeah. And I won't pretend for a moment that everything was fine after that, but crikey, it was better. And mm. uh, and and he, he genuinely responded to people just showing him a bit of consideration and and I think it's those things isn't it what you've just described there with that lad you genuinely had transformed his life I like to think so I mean as you say with, with, with the lad that you were talking to I think that there are times when a little bit of time invested with an individual child just chatting to them finding out well what is the issue here what why are we clashing what was obvious to me with that particular child was that he wasn't a nasty boy but there were times when I asked him to do things and he didn't do them. There were times when he, he produced stuff and it was completely different to what, what I'd been asked for. And, and it was frustrating. It was exasperating. And I wanted to find out why. What was the issue? What was the problem? I often find, and I was interested to hear what you said there, I often find that teachers can resort to shouting when it's not at all helpful. The children themselves that you're shouting at shut down, as you say, the yada, yada, yada. Thing. They, they, they shut down and the other children within earshot hate it mm. they absolutely you can almost see that the shoulders curve it curling and, and their heads going in because they really do not like this when I started I think I probably did do some shouting in the first few years of that school but I soon realized that it was not going to be helpful that it really wasn't and it was harmful harmful to the children harmful to our relationships it wasn't something that, that, that I was ever comfortable with. No, me neither. And I, I remember when I was an NQT and and I said to my mentor, I said, sometimes I shout at them and then a minute later I have to shout again. And she said, what does that tell you then? I said, well, am I not forceful enough or should I not waste my time shouting? She said, yeah, the second one. Don't waste your time <laughs> shouting. Start teaching these children how to behave and explaining to them what they're doing wrong rather than just telling them off for doing something where they probably don't even realise. And I taught myself a very good lesson, actually, because I was about to shout at a lad and I was cutting a paint bottle open to get some more paint out of it. He was just a classic year five lad. And I called out to him, and I think I said something like, what are you doing now? And at that point, the knife slipped and it went straight through my hand. And uh, <laughs> I said, right, everyone, I said, just sit down a minute. I'm just going to have to nip to the office. And uh, <laughs> I went down to the office and they said, Let me, can, and the welfare lady said, can I just have a look at that? And she said, oh, blimey, she said, you're going to have to have that stitch. And I ended up having 14 stitches in my hand. Ooh because I'd slice straight through and I thought 
there's got to be a better way of doing this really hasn't there and, uh, quite, a pain, quite a painful way of learning it but but mm. nevertheless a good lesson so what about what about your first memory john of being an nqt well my first memory my first day i i um i'd secured a job at a school a very nice school 11 to 16 comprehensive in cornwall and um I was very excited. We, I was married. We had our oldest child was born at that stage. was was very young, and um, and I was I was very very pleased to have this job. Very very excited. Very eager to start. Um, and and I was keen to be a really good teacher. You know. Um, and the first day, my my mother bought me a brand new briefcase with my initials yeah. on. So I. I Took this into school. Of course, the first day there was nothing in it except sandwiches and a pen. You know, <laughs> but I went into class, and the first class that I taught, the very first day that we started, was not a French or a Spanish class. I was um, taken on as a Spanish and French teacher, um, but the first class I, I, I taught was actually an English class. I was filling in, um, you know, filling up your timetable because mm. it was a small eleven to sixteen comprehensive. There wasn't enough languages teaching for four of us full time. So they had given me mm. a year 11 bottom set English class. They hadn't given me any scheme of work. They hadn't given me any objectives. They hadn't given me any resources. They'd simply given me um, a class of 30 children who were not expected to take any examinations. We had a double period three times a week, Monday morning, Wednesday morning and Thursday morning. Two periods was, was an hour and a half. And the very first day I bounced into class all eager and I plonked my briefcase on the desk and I turned to look at the class. And they, they were sitting there and they looked, they were not looking impressed at all. <laughs> and I, I heard a girl at the back say just loud enough that I heard it, but just soft enough that I could pretend I didn't if I didn't want to. I heard her say, Oh, look what the fuck just walked in. <laughs> and I, I mean, my face must be an absolute picture. I said, that, oh, um, you know, the, the, this, these youngsters do not think I'm God's gift. You know, a, a sudden realisation. Um, so it, it, it was a, a baptism of fire, if you like. Mm. Um, and that class, I, I, I always feel um, very, or always felt, because I'm retired now, of course, but I always felt very protective towards NQTs because mm. I think I could very easily, by the end of that first term, had a breakdown and left teaching. Mm. I, it, it was it was very, very tough. I, I went to, to um, a guy who had been quite friendly in the staff room. I mean, obviously, I didn't know any of these teachers very well, um, but I went to a guy who'd been quite friendly in the staff room and I said, look, I'm really having difficulties with this group. Uh, this was about a month in and, and, and I was at the stage where I wasn't sleeping. You know, I, I, I was lying awake the night before I had these classes. Totally relate to that, thinking about some of the classes I've taught and, and where you just think, I don't actually want to face them tomorrow because yeah. I don't actually know how to deal with them. Yeah. And, and yeah. Try, I've tried everything I've ever thought of Mm. and nothing has worked at all well yeah so so what now and and it was you know it was an hour and a half mm. three times a week first thing in the morning and and so that um colored the day and it colored the week you know mm. and, and as i say I, I i was really really um feeling dreadful 
Um, so I went to this guy and I said, look, I'm, re I'm really having difficulties with, with this class. Um, can you come and watch and tell me what I'm doing wrong? Um, so he did. He came, he's a lovely man, really nice man. Um, and he came and he watched and um, he came several times and, and he suggested other people who might come and look. So in the end, I had four or five of my colleagues who came and looked. And it's difficult now to remember, but in those days, people did not observe each other. You know, those day, in those days, you, you closed your classroom door and no other grown-up came in. You know, once in my first year, the head teacher appeared. He had said to me beforehand that he was coming in. This was in the second half of the summer term. He'd said, I, I'm going to come and see you this morning. And I thought he was just going to come and have a chat about something. But anyway, he walked in in the middle of a lesson. He walked round the room, up and down the aisles. You know, we had the desks in rows. So he walked up and down the aisles. And then he walked out of, of, of the room after being with me for five minutes. And then at break time, he came back and he said, uh, oh, that was very good. Uh, you've passed your NQT year. Don't tell ECTs that now. No, absolutely not. But but that that was the only observation that you could have called in any sense formal. The only time somebody came to check up on what I was doing. Mm. So very very different world. So anyway, I had you know five or six uh, of my colleagues who came in and, and and who looked and and who gave advice. You know, you might try this, you might try that. But the thing that always stuck with me, the thing that has stuck with me for forty years, was. The very first chap that I, that I asked, who came in, who looked at, at what I was doing, who was there for the lessons, he knew these these youngsters. He had worked with them before. They'd been in his classes. Um, he'd been in the school the whole time that they had. And he said to me at the end of it, he said, you're not really doing anything very wrong, except that you're forgetting what's the most important resource in your classroom. He said, and the most important resource in your classroom is you oh good point yeah well I, it absolutely wasn't it had never really occurred to me and, and he said that you you need to look after yourself they gave me some pointers that class was never easy no but we limped through the year um and we, we got to 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 the end of the year and and actually i was a little bit sad to see them go they taught me an awful lot mm. <laughs> i remember thinking when, when i um when I started in primary schools much later, I remember um, going to primary school and uh, going into a year six where there was a child who, who was really not wanting to learn. And I remember thinking, you know, you're not a patch on the children that I've, no. <laughs> I've worked with before. You know, you, you can do your worst and it is not going to phase me at all. <laughs> um, so, yes, they taught me an awful lot, that group. But the, the lesson that you need to look after yourself as a teacher, I think, is an important one. And very often you see NQTs who are putting in very long hours. They're preparing all sorts of resources. They're writing detailed lesson plans. They're doing everything they can think of to be the best teacher that they can be. And they're not giving themselves enough time. They're unfortunately setting themselves up to burn out if they don't achieve a balance of, it, of, of some kind or other. And, and, and everybody needs that balance. Having had it pointed out to me, um, and the, the guy, he went on and he said, you know, he had been a, a teacher at a, at a large comprehensive in London, and he said he'd moved to Cornwall for the quality of life. And his evenings and his weekends were with his wife. 
walks in the countryside and he wasn't dominated entirely by school. I'd spent the first two months of, of, of my um, career doing nothing but schoolwork and worrying about schoolwork. The worry is the most damaging bit because if you're working hard but loving it, yeah. Without without a gnawing anxiety deep in your stomach about what's mm-hmm. going to happen. I was asked at interview, why do you want to become a primary school teacher? I did a biology degree. And they mm-hmm. said, why do you want to become a primary school teacher? And I said, I can do all my hobbies in the class. I said, I like writing poetry. I said, I love singing. I love maths and science. Mm-hmm. I said, I know nothing about art, but I'm very interested in it. So what a wonderful job. And it was wonderful and mm-hmm. truly, truly loved Every moment until you got what you've just described, the immensely difficult class, you didn't know what to do. And of course, you learned a lot from it. But the painful journey you went on to get to the end where you thought, actually, we've achieved a lot now. But crikey, that's taken a lot out of me. It's not the long hours, is it? It's the am I good enough? Imposter syndrome, the anxiety of I should be doing more. That's what's so debilitating. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think one of the things, that, I, and I think secondary and primary are possibly slightly different in this. One of the mm. things that I really appreciated in primary was, as you've said, the variety, mm. that the opportunity to work with children in so many different ways and, and to explore things and to learn things myself, you know, and, and in preparing for a series of lessons, a, a scheme of work about the Aztecs, for instance, I learned a huge amount and about Central America, you know, mm. um, and and so there are lots of things that are so much more fulfilling. I found about primary. Now, the thing about secondary, of course, is, and people do find this fulfilling. You can take your subject to a higher level, and mm. and you can and you can also have a relationship with the pupils that is on a different level. You know, one of the things, one of the first things I noticed about primary was, I mean, as I say, I really loved it. But one of the first things I noticed was the youngsters didn't get my jokes. <laughs> and at secondary, you could have a, a good laugh with them and, and, and they understood the jokes, you know. My classes used to say to me, that's not funny, Mr. Crook. I said, but I'm not saying it for you. I'm saying it for me because I know you're not going to laugh. But inside, I'm laughing. So I said, yeah. sometimes I'm going to say things and they're just for me because I laugh, and they go, you're so weird. And you go, yes, I am. Very good, so, yeah. so what kept you in teaching then, John? You had such a tough baptism there, and, and crikey, everyone who's been a teacher can, can empathise with what you've described there, but that's about as tough as it gets, what you've described. It what kept was, you in teaching then? It was, but it wasn't the only thing that I experienced in that first year, because, mm. again, in that first year, that was also the year where, where I came across the lad who was deaf. You know, right. and I was also teaching because I was the, the Spanish teacher in the school. I was teaching um, O-level Spanish. And that was really very, very rewarding. And it was rewarding. And actually, you know, at the end of the year, I think I felt it really rewarding that I'd survived. <laughs> but the thing for, for, for teachers, as, as you know, that the big reward for teachers is knowing you've made a difference to children and being able to see that difference and seeing a child do something that they couldn't do or hearing a child say something that they couldn't Mm. say without your intervention before you had taught them that's really the buzz and and I there was a lot of that in in that first year so once I'd stabilized and once I wasn't staying awake all week worrying about that year 11 class I I, I was you know the rewards came through more strongly 
Mm, that, that's the thing. I'm loving this, John, because you've said so many things that are so important for new teachers. And that word stabilizing your first year, and there's so many things you're learning, and you thought the training was quite difficult, but suddenly you're in charge of your own class and you think, crikey, I haven't got to write assignments anymore, but there's so much I don't know just about the mechanics of a school, let alone trying to get the best out of each child and stabilizing and saying, I'm doing okay. And okay is good enough. We say this almost every time I have a chat with someone. Okay is good enough. If you're improving a little bit every day, that's good enough. And as long as the children are improving gradually, that's good enough. And Mm. I think you're absolutely right. My very first Ofsted, the lead inspector sat all the staff down in the staff room at the start of the the, um, inspection. This was the first one I'd ever had. And it was one of those, if you remember in those early days, they came for the full week Mm. and they were in and out of your lessons all week. And they looked in all the cupboards and they looked in all the exercise books and they they opened your drawers and, you know, they they, they looked at everything and they, they took everything apart. And he, he sat us down at the start of the week and he said, I've not been in this school before. I don't know what I'm going to find. He said, but I just want you to know if at the end of this process you are designated satisfactory, he said, and, and many schools are, he said, I want you to know that you're doing the job you're paid for. Absolutely. Crikey, I'd like him to be cloned. Yes, absolutely. It, it was a far cry from, from the, the days, you know, 30 years or 20 years later when we were told satisfactory is not good enough. No. Um, it's like average is no longer good enough, is it, in, in terms yeah. of children's standards? That's right. Now got to be above average. Excuse they have. Me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody has to be above. Yeah, average. let's just think of the statistics of that. <laughs> no, I can't get my head around that. Sorry. Yeah, but it, yeah, but 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 it it really does mean I think you you know you, you've got to do your best for the, for the children. Of course you have, but you don't want to beat yourself up either. You, no. you, there will be times in the week when things go really well. When you think, wow, that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. The children really enjoyed that. They were learning. It was clear, you know, at the end of it, fantastic. Mm. But there were times in every week as a class teacher when something didn't go quite as well as it should. No. You know, and 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 it wasn't always as dramatic as as the girls saying, What the fuck's walked in here? <laughs> <laughs> but but it was um it, there were times when, when I'd go home disappointed and I'd have to think, <clears throat> actually, yeah, that didn't go so well, but this did and that did mm. and the third thing did, you know. And, and it, again, it's about a balance of things. You spent quite a number of years, didn't you, in secondary, but you left secondary in the end. Why did you leave? Yeah, well, after, after three years, uh, I was promoted. And the job that I, I got, the job that I asked for and got, was um, head of first year. At the start, it was joint head of first year, so there were two of us in the role. And one of my responsibilities was primary liaison. So I would go out to the primary schools in the summer term, and I would talk to the children. I'd talk to the teachers about the children. Then the children would be invited into school, into our secondary school, and I'd work with them there, and they they, they would see the, the classes that they were coming to and so on. I really looked forward to going to, to these schools, to visiting these schools, mm. to, to, to meeting these children. And that was an introduction to primary life and realising that actually primary schools were 
Yes, they were teaching. Yes, it was the same thing. But they were a different kind of world in that you could work with the children more holistically. You, yeah. you, you could, you know, and that became obvious in the conversations I had with um, with the year six teachers. It became obvious in, in the conversations I had with the children themselves. And it, it became really quite attractive moving from um, secondary to primary. I was happy where I was. I I did think primary schools would would be fun and, and would be great, um, but I was happy with, with what I was doing, and so I stayed with that for another um, for another ten years. And then what moved me out was because I'd been selected as a parliamentary candidate. I didn't feel that it was fair to um, to the people who had selected me if if I wasn't going to put my heart and soul into it. Absolutely. Then. And and it was not a, a seat that had a tradition of of my particular flavor of candidate winning but it but it was one that, that we felt was winnable and it certainly looked from the polling as if we might be in with a chance um and the, the tories selected a candidate um i should say the other party should know anyway the tories selected a no candidate. you can be honest on here john <laughs> well the tories selected a candidate who we felt was not going to do them any favors in cornwall um they, they selected seb co as they oh, did they? <laughs> yeah. Um, and in the event, he won. Um, yeah. But we came closer than than, than um, I think they were expecting. Oh, it, it was, yeah, yeah. It, it was um, again a, a very interesting experience. And then after the election, I wanted to go back to full time, and I thought, well, is this the right moment to move into primary? And I did. And and again, I got a a very um, useful job for the position that I was in I got a job as a section 11 teacher and a section 11 teacher uh, for those of your listeners who don't know was somebody who was employed to work with children and families and parents whose first language was not English and it meant that I was working throughout the school it meant that I was in and out of all the classes it meant that I was working with all the age groups it meant that I was experiencing an apprenticeship, if you like, of all the primary subjects, all mm. the primary years, all the primary, um, well, the full range. And 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 it was it was a lot of fun. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And then then the government decided to cancel Section 11 teachers pretty much overnight. And, and <laughs> not like the government, is it, to suddenly change things? <laughs> so I had had 18 very, very good months um working in primary schools um, and then at that stage I moved into being a class teacher it was the same process of teaching that that we had had in secondary it was making a difference to children um, hoping that you're having a positive influence on children but it was much more holistic and mm. I have to be honest it was much more fun <laughs> yeah no it is and I say regularly all the time to anyone who wants to listen we've got to have fun haven't we fun is such an important aspect of life let alone learning and i think it is beholden on us as teachers to create an environment where children can actually have fun i, know, I uh, completely agree and i and i always felt as a head that one of the marks of, of, of a successful classroom was if the children were laughing mm. you know, not all the time but that there was, but there was laughter. There's definitely the a place for it, though, isn't there? Yeah. I once became head of a school, and there wasn't much laughter. 
And I felt nervous. I'd felt nervous walking round, but I thought, I, can, I can't quite get my finger on this school. Being an, it, you know, it was my first headship and uh, I can't quite work this out. Anyway, I got the job and then realised, no, children didn't have fun because that wasn't the point of school. And fortunately, we changed it. And yes, it was the point of school. There yeah. is, it's okay to have fun. Of course, you've got to learn well. But you can have fun too. What were your highlights then, John, of uh, highlights of being in primary school? Well, it was the feeling that you were able to work with children in the whole range of curriculum, the whole range of their development, being responsible for pretty much everything they did, you know, running the football teams, organising the, the, the syllabus for history, for maths. You know, it, it, was, it was just that feeling of responsibility, I felt, mm. was, was something I really enjoyed. And you could see children really develop. One of the things about primary school children is that they're still able to express that awe and that wonder. Yeah. I remember having a child who, who came to my class once. I was teaching year four at that this time. Um, and he came in and he spent the first five minutes of the morning, this was before school started, describing to me the spider's web he'd seen at the bus stop that the rain had glistened on it. You know, there were drops on it. And, and it was, you know, absolutely wonderful. It is really nice to, to feel that, you know, you're there when children have those wow moments. Yeah, and, and, and teachers have a responsibility, don't they, to say wow. Mm -hmm. I, I'd say that to my trainee teachers. One of your mm -hmm. job is when, if you say wow, the children will say wow. And yeah. if you see the spider's web with the dew hanging off it, and go, look at that. Yeah. And the children will go, look at that. Yeah. And they'll drag you off to 10 different places to look <laughs> at something else, won't they? Absolutely. And you see that. I mean, I've seen that with my own children. And they'll come home and they'll say, Miss showed us this. Miss told us that. You know, Sir gave us this experience or that experience. And, and you know, and they are so so filled with excitement about it they, they go home and they tell their parents you know yeah yeah and, and fabulous yeah. Uh, and it is fabulous and and that sounds to me john like a fabulous place to stop because that that's made me feel warm inside that memory of children going home and saying guess what we did at school today mm -hmm. because those are rich rich moments aren't they absolutely are yes really are yeah, so so thanks for that, John. I, I know that so many teachers will be able to relate to the trials of that particular class early in your career. But experiences like that, of course, really help us develop as teachers. And as long as we're resilient enough to survive them, then they benefit us greatly. I looked up a quote, knowing that you were a, a writer, and it's a quote from Terry Pratchett. I knew he'd said something about... Uh, about experience. I couldn't remember what it was, so I looked it up. And he, of course, folks, is that great writer of the Fantasy Discworld series. And he once said, wisdom comes from experience. Experience is often a result of lack of wisdom. And that's very, so true. Very true. You yeah, have to go true. through the experience, don't you, to get yeah. the wisdom. And, and Socrates said something similar. He said, the only true wisdom is in knowing you know nothing. <laughs> Wow. Very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy. That's good. Can I just have one little thing? I think I of think course. it is important to, to, to go through these things and to learn from them. I think one of the things that anybody who is in a difficult situation in school or anywhere else 
needs to do is to ask for help. Mm. And I think I did a lot of things wrong with that class, particularly in those early days. But what I did do right was ask for help. Yeah, and you you absolutely have to do that because then you're not alone either, are you? Yeah. And and yeah. being alone is the most horrific feeling when you're in a classroom where you don't feel you've necessarily got the rapport, the control, the relationship that makes teaching easy. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. great. Thank you so much, John. No, thank you, Jeremy. I've enjoyed that. Thank yeah, it's been, it's been fascinating. It always is. So what now, listeners? What has John said that has struck a chord with you? What can you take from today's chat that will help in the days ahead? There's always something to learn from the wise words of others, and John has certainly shared plenty of those. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll keep you updated on what's to come on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another educational chat. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT.